This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 25 of Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we talk to one of America's most famous farmers, Joel Salatin. We find out about the Siamese cat. We talk about what kind of wild critters we'd like to own. And we discuss ulcer sensitivities in horses. Patty, I have some very exciting news. I can't wait to hear Tigger. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> um, my first book is coming out. I one. got wind of that. I think that is so exciting. And what a what an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. I didn't even know you were working on a book until you obviously recently told me, but I am so proud of you. This is such a big thing. And such a labor of love. Well, the reason I was keeping it under wraps is that I wasn't sure I'd ever get it finished. (laughs) Well, how long have you been doing it? (sighs) Oh, for uh, a number of years now. (laughs) I just think it's so cool. I think it's pretty cool. So December 1, so where will it call? Where will people it's, be able to get it? it? You can buy it from Biostar US. Okay. Um, it's called Whole Food for Horses. And it's uh, the culmination of um, the years that I have spent, you know, feeding whole food and learning about whole food. And what I, I did make a point of including was not only what every whole food ingredient is, what's in processed feed and how you can identify those ingredients, but also sample feeding programs. Mm-hmm. Because I really, I really want people. One of the biggest obstacles I think to changing is that you know how much do I feed and da, 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 yeah. and do I use this and do I use that and yeah. so this is a real, a real breakdown of how you decide based on your horse's caloric needs, meaning exercise, um, how to feed um, a whole food component diet and. And then I've included some sections on how you feed for recovery after the horse has worked. That's awesome. After the horse has shown um, things about probiotics and the immune system and Lyme's disease. And so, yeah, it's chock full. (laughs) It's chock full of information. Well, no wonder it took you so long. And um, uh, I had an editor, thank goodness. Um, His name is Dave. And he was a lifesaver. (laughs) Dave, the editor. Oh. Um, And I tell you that the most difficult part was actually not writing it. It was editing it. And Uh, just you you know this about me. Yeah. Well, you have to keep reviewing it before it goes to print, right? Yeah. And I'm so, this is where I get a little bit. Um, OCD, <laughs> obsessive compulsive. No, not you, Tigger. I keep thinking. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I, I know. I'm sitting here waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. I'm like, and there it is. OCD comes out. Yeah. 
Bing! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. First, I, I was admitting, I, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't let it go because I kept saying, oh, I can make this better or it's not good enough. or, And I was driving myself insane. Yeah. And finally, Dave said, stop. Stop. Sit. Back away. It is We're what it is. This is it. You want to do another edition later? You can do that. But, but count me out. I I'm think done. it was my way. <laughs> I, I think it was more um, his way of, it, it's sort of like training a horse. I mean, there just comes a point where you have to step back and, and let the horse show you what they know. Right. You know, get out of the way. And, and, and this book is a little bit like that. I just have to step away and say, okay, this is, this is what it is. And um, pretty cool. I can't do anything more. Well, that's pretty so cool. So it will be available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and um, all the big channels um, in uh, 2017 in January. But for December, uh, it's available through Biostar US. And I will be signing many, many copies. So cool. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to write a book. So. Aww. Um, I wanted to be a princess. Yeah, it was... <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up, little girl? An author. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. Well, congratulations. That's pretty awesome. Thanks. And and believe it or not, I've, I'm at work on the next one. Oh, good for you. See, it wasn't that bad, right? Well, I'm, I'm writing it from Kimasabi's point of view. And see, that to me delights my heart. <laughs> so, Kimasabe's going to have his own book, and he's going to talk about nutrition, and it's the world according to Kimasabe. Okay. His views on <clears throat> okay. humans, their dogs, collars, <laughs> oh, gosh, painting that's... toenails. <laughs> oh, that's great. Just say no. Yeah. Say no. Just, just don't go there. Just say no. Say no. Don't go there. Not rolling in dead carcasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Because that's not what happens. Oh, that's funny. Well, cool, Tiggs. Well, cool. And what's going on with you, Patty? I've just been working a lot, Tiggs. I've been working a lot. I've been traveling a lot. And uh, I'm finally getting a little cooler weather here, um, which is nice. It's getting better there uh, in Florida, isn't it, Jennifer? The weather here is lovely right now. Oh, that's it's nice. Lovely. Well, it's we just had a little rain for the first time in I don't know how long. So it's uh, this time of year is why people live in Texas because it's pretty outstanding, like anywhere from like 70 to 78 degrees. So I've been waiting for this. So oh, that is perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. And the horses but, like it. But we, we might want to share that you have been going through quite a <laughs> ridiculous quandary. A, a, Yes. Yeah. I was telling Jennifer and about I'm this sure earlier. Can Use understand your... <laughs> um, your dilemma. Yeah. I am just seriously considering adding an Australian, another Australian shepherd to our home. And um, it is, it can be overwhelming All is all I'm going to say. It's overwhelming for all the delightful reasons, but to a point where you just go, holy crap. I got to stop thinking about this. What's the right type? Do you, which color do you go with? And why would you do this? And then you talk. And the worst thing is, Jennifer, don't talk to Tigger. 
do not talk no. to Tigger because because she's just like, well, why would you go and just get one? She's a facilitator. <laughs> That's what she is. Yes, she is. Bad. I'm an enabler. Bad. You're an enabler. Yes. Yeah. So, and I don't have a lot of time. So, you know, of course we just had um, interviewed Lori, but um, our last uh, episode and she would, and I'll tell you what, cause I have been doing a lot of talking with uh, breeders and what I love about Lori is um, she just is very easy to talk to because, you know, dog people, dog breeders can just be kind of a different breed, no pun intended. And I, and I get it. They're very protective of their what they're doing. And I really do understand that, but it's just hard sometimes, um, it, they, to deal with them. So Lori was, is just a delightful person. What's hard about Lori is that she's in Texas and I'm in Florida or no, I'm in Texas and she's in Florida. Anyway, (laughs) oh my gosh, I got that wrong. And, um, so there you go. But I think you came up with the world's most perfect solution. I mean, it's so brilliant. What was it? I can't even remember anymore. It was go to Orlando with the kids, go to Harry Potter, and then oh, just that's right. Zip that was a good one. Yeah. That see was a the good dogs, one. and then fly home. Yeah, that Pick was your a dog. Good one. Go home. Go home. That was an excellent one. Yeah, it just if time permits. That's the only thing I have to work work out. But um, we'll see. We will see. So that's you know. If that's the worst thing I have to deal with, I don't think life's too bad. <laughs> well, and, and and my brilliant idea, Jennifer, was that if Patty and I both get a puppy from Lori, that then we could have whole healthy critters <laughs> segments on puppy yeah. raising. Yes, and I'm that sure would, it, that <laughs> would pr- provide plenty of fodder for the show. No doubt. Would. Absolutely. Yeah. What to do be. with teething puppies, what to do with potty training puppies. What to right. do with puppies with separation anxiety? What to, what to do about puppies who are developing food aggression? What to do with puppies who yeah. chew on your socks? Yeah, it's a whole year's worth yeah. right there. Yeah, right there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. So Indeed. I think, of course, you should have an Australian Shepherd to support the show. Yeah, to support <laughs> to the support show. To support the show, absolutely. Because you're a giver. She yeah. is a giver. <laughs> and an enabler. I think she's an enabler first, yeah. and then yeah. Well, th- speaking of enablers, <laughs> why don't we uh, why don't we get to our first guest because he's enabling um, people to learn how to farm without using machines, which is Better kind of a cool concept. Method. There you yeah, go. Yeah, kind of cool. Let's get yeah. right to it. And we're here with Joel Salatin from Polyface Farms. Joel has been my hero for many years, but he doesn't know that. <laughs> Um, if you um, are familiar with any of his books, um, he's written 10 of them. My favorite is Everything I Wanted to Do is Illegal. Um, that t- totally changed the way I look at um, my own farm. So welcome, Joel. I am just so over the moon that you're here. Oh, thank you. It's just a delight to be with you. Thank you. So my first question is for um, many of our listeners are um, horse owners. They have horse farms. Um, you don't use any chemical fertilizers. You don't own a plow or a disc or a, you don't use a silo. So how exactly does your farm work? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it, 
you know, we, we use a lot of other things that maybe a lot of people don't think about. We use a lot of electric fence. We use a lot of portable infrastructure, like, like nursery shade cloth on essentially, um, uh, you know, tinker toy, tinker toy chassis, you know, for shelter for uh, cows and pigs and chickens and turkeys and things. Um, we, of course, have a lot of water lines buried, so every 100 yards is a, is a water uh, faucet. Um, that's gravity fed from a pond a mile away. Wow. So we have six, mile, six miles of, of water line that, that brings gravity fed water all over the farm. So, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't do for sure, but uh, there's a lot of things that we do do. So, this, 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 these control and portable shelter and portable water um, enable us to move the animals around. That's the key. So, what do we do is we're basically harvesting solar energy through grass, um, converting it to, you know, to, to animal proteins and using the animals to prune, to prune the forage uh, so that it actually grows better, like a lawn. And um, I, mean, I don't want to get you, it's not, it's not a lawn, but it's like <laughs> you would mow a lawn, okay? Except with a, instead of a lawnmower, we're using animals to do the mowing. Right. And... Um, and and they, they, they their their exhaust is much more uh, valuable. <laughs> uh, so so um, so we, we we move you know we move them almost every day you know from one spot to another one one little field to another and uh, this this mimics the uh, the the migratory choreography of you know the bison and the wildebeest and the you know the great herds of herbivores uh, around the planet. Uh, under which all of our deepest and most fertile soils have been built. You know, the prairie, the prairie herbivore predator uh, relationship is what you know built all these, all the deep soils. And you have many. I mean, you have a variety of livestock. You have chickens. You yeah. have cattle. Mm-hmm. You have pigs. Um, you're not a monoculture farm. Well, not not by any means. Not by any means. So. Uh, not only are we not a mono, in other words, we don't grow alfalfa, we don't grow, you know, mono-speciated forages, so it, it's just whatever is here is here. And so, you know, typically on our place, if you walk out in the field and, and you know, took a 10-foot by 10-foot spot, there'd be, you know, 20 to 30 varieties of plants in that, in that little square um, or more. So, you know, this is a very diversified thing, and then the, and then the, the animals that were running across it, of course, they all fill a particular niche and enjoy a certain type of forage, and they leave a certain type of waste that, that concentrates different nutrients. So, yeah, it's a it's an extremely um, confusing place, which is, <laughs> which you know, confuse confusing. I mean, you know, an ecologist would call it diversity. But um, sometimes it's 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 more fun to say the word confusing, because um, because it I think it speaks to why there is so much uh, hygiene here and sanitation and so little pathogenicity is because a confusing place is confusing to pathogens and, and diseases and things, uh, and so yeah that's a, that's a very positive thing. So one of the challenges that 
horse farms face is that we are essentially a monoculture. We have one animal, right? right. It's the horse. And yeah. a lot of horse farms all over the U.S. and Canada are running into a problem with pasture. And the seed that's available for pasture is really been developed for cows. So getting the kind of pasture that has you know, native plants and um, is better for the soil. What would be your suggestions for um, us uh, horse farm owners? How can we improve yeah. the soil ecology and and the native grasses? Yeah, well, <clears throat> a couple of things. One is to just appreciate what rest will do. Um, so you know, wh- whether it's a horse or a cow or anything else, uh, in nature, think about it, in nature, uh, animals don't stay in the same place. They, they, they move. Yeah. And, of course, they, they tend to move great long distances. But, you know, that would be problematic today if a herd of 7 million bison came through a Starbucks. So, <laughs> pro- probably, yeah, that could be problematic. So, um, so, so what we need to do is, is um, simulate that movement um, on a you know on a domestic scale, and so we use electric fence that allows us to control where the livestock is at a certain point, and then because electric fence is so portable, you know ele- electricity doesn't weigh very much. So this isn't a physical fence as much as it's a psychological fence, and fortunately, you know a pound of psychology doesn't weigh very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so we can so we can move this lightweight uh, control mechanism. Essentially, the electric fence becomes a steering wheel, a, an accelerator, and a brake on that four-legged mowing machine, all right, that four-legged, that animal. Correct. And that, that enables us to move them around. So in a horse situation, if you would, instead of having the, you know, the loafing paddock where they're just yeah. out there, um, instead, if you divided that into small areas where they would, you know, move around and there would be then rest periods, what happens then is that the the uh, plant species actually diversify because because all the plants get a chance to you know to, to grow uh, instead of being nipped back as soon as they get long enough to be nipped back and of course a horse can nip stuff back uh, farther even than a cow because mm-hmm. they have teeth upper and lower <clears throat> so so what happens when a horse is in a in a lot for a long, long time, they they graze it down to nothing. What they really like, what they don't like, uh, you know, grows to seed. Yeah. And so you have this this overgrazing and undergrazing in the same spot. But if you if you move them around and control them, now I've often thought, well, you know, why couldn't why couldn't somebody with a horse actually have a uh, a, a portable lightweight stall? Um, that a horse could actually, you know, maybe it could be on skids, and a horse could actually pull it around, and <laughs> you know, it'd have a, like a nursery shade cloth on top, right? You know, it'd be like a like a like a little miniature, uh, you know, uh, a car car garage, car breezeway, you know. <clears throat> Sorry. And 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 the horse just pulls it around, you know, and uh, and that way you you know you move the manure around, and then. <clears throat> then of course you want a couple of chickens, and the chickens 
are going to follow the cow, the, the cow, the, the horse, and they're going to eat out the you know undigested oats and little you know hay seeds, and they're going to eat all the worms and the pathogens, and they're going to spread out the horse manure, and um, and and they're going to scratch the soil a little bit to stimulate more seed germination, different kinds of seeds, you know, change that texture of the of the grass. And so instead of having these plops of horse poop, you know, sitting around like like uh, unused anthills, instead, you know, they're they're all, you know, that that little uh, one square foot of of horse road apples, um, it, it it becomes a you know, it it becomes a spread out thing over like three, you know, nine square feet, three feet square. Um, you know, that fundamentally changes the the pasture. It reduces the repugnancy zones, and and you're allowing some of that grass to you know grow up and make seed and and, and make make little plants that then you know add to the diversity of the uh, of the field. I learned about chickens from you, and so I brought chickens onto my farm, and I cannot believe what they do. I let them go in the stalls after uh-huh. I've turned the horses out. Uh-huh. And yep, it's just yep. freaking amazing. Yeah, they turn yeah. things up, they pick things out, yeah, and and then they move around the farmyard, and then they go out into the pastures. And yeah, I, I can't imagine having a farm anymore without chickens. Yeah, well, there's there's another there's another uh, permutation to this. <clears throat> imagine what's the what's the big cost in a, in a stable situation where somebody's. For example, boarding horses. The biggest cost is mucking out stalls, right? Yeah. So, so just imagine if you made your stalls instead of making them so that you know every time it gets to be uh, a quarter of an inch deep, you have to take it out. Instead, suppose you make it with a sill plates real high. This is what we do with our barn and with the cow. Oh, I'm so glad you're getting to this because I love this. All right, we make this. Well, interestingly, Equine News. I wish I had the issue still in front of me, but Equine News, 15 or 20 years ago, I picked up an Equine News sitting somewhere in some horsey place, and, uh, and the lead article was about the hoof health created with deep bedding. But the, but the problem is nobody does it because horse stalls are not built. They're not designed to accommodate bedding that's more than, you know, two or three or four inches deep. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but... Just like we've designed our barn, uh, it's actually a pole shed, we've designed it um, so that it can handle four-foot-deep bedding, all right? Oh. Uh, maybe you don't have to go four feet deep, but, but certainly two feet deep, all right? But just imagine, just imagine if, let's say, let's say you've got 20, 20 stalls here, all right? Okay. You have 19 horses, and you have these stalls so that the bedding can build up, say, 24 inches deep. And so every day you move the horses one stall forward, you know, like those little, uh, those little number puzzles, you know, where you move the pieces around <laughs> yeah. to try to get them to line up. Okay. All right. So imagine that you're moving, you're moving the horses, uh, one stall forward. So every day one stall is empty and you have two pigs, two pigs that you move into the empty stall behind the horses. They dig down deep, root it all up. It now is warm and composting, killing all the pathogens, uh, um, incorporating all of the, the, the material. It smells like forest, you know, uh, forest leaves, all right? And, and, and now you don't have to do, you never have to muck them out at all, and you just 
keep up this routine. The pigs are in the empty one. The horses move one forward out. And one day a year, one day a year, you have a party. Um, probably a pork a pork barbecue would be in order. And all, all of your customers come with side dishes and and pitchforks and wheelbarrows. And you and you spend you know the day cleaning out all these stalls one day a year. You turn it into a party. Everybody smells the pig roasting. You know, they've been petting them all year. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, pork chop and, and, and tenderloin, you know. And, and, and at the end of the day, you have this wonderful uh, party, maybe with a square dance, whatever. And, <laughs> and you're full of pork barbecue and a job well done. The stalls are all clean for the next year. And it, and it, it turns one day. And the horses have dropped their farrier costs in half because their hooves are so healthy due to all the, the exudates coming up through this wonderful aerobic compost. And um, everybody wins. And, and, and the, the caretaker, the, the, whatever you call the stable person, you know, has not had to spend an hour a day mucking out stalls. Instead, they've been able to enjoy riding horses, exercising them, doing the stuff that they really enjoy. And, uh, and maybe drop the stable rates by you know thirty percent because they don't have all the labor costs. Right. And they take they take what would normally be a daily drudgery, and turn it into a one annual uh, big shindig picnic with a pork barbecue. <laughs> that now now you do something you put corn yeah, in. We the... do we do but but yeah but but in this in the situation where what I'm describing here with the horses the horses already get grain. If, right. you, if you look at the, if you look at the, I mean, they get oats, they get rolled corn, they get stuff, and they don't, they don't digest all of it. You look in their uh, droppings, there's plenty of stuff in there. Well, that's gonna, that's gonna be plenty to incentivize the pigs to go in there and root and turn and dig and and ox aerate it, oxygenate it, and keep it running. The reason I like the pigs is because the pigs dig so much deeper than chickens. Chickens, you know, they're they're only so big, right? And, right? and they can't scratch with so far, unless you get you know some sort of Arnold Schwartz chicken or something. <laughs> but, but if um, if if you use pigs, you know they'll dig on down there and really you know really turn it up and keep that you know keep that aeration going. So every you know every every twenty days, that that bedding that compost gets turned, and the whole place just smells beautiful. There's no flies because it's compost instead of raw manure. There's no there's no dump pile where you know where you're taking it out with a wheelbarrow and making this pile that attracts flies and is unsightly and you have to keep kids from going out and playing in it and you know all that stuff. I mean, there you know uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to love. Now, do you but, do you mostly it, use starts, straw or do you use sawdust? No, I would use, I would use sawdust. I mean, the the more friable it is, the easier it is to you know to to dig and turn. Um, so yeah, I would use something friable. I mean, you could even use wood chips or leaves or whatever. But straw tends to kind of mat and stick together. It's really not all that absorptive. And um, I mean, unless you get dull straw that's been rained on. But what what uh, pedigree horse person would ever use? Rained on straw. I mean, that's no good. That's true. <laughs> Have you tried yeah, hemp? Got to use that. You got to use that nice waxy stuff that's water <laughs> repellent. You know. 
Have you tried this new ground hemp leaves? Instead of an alternative no, it, to sawdust? It sounds, it, it sounds wonderful. Joel, where can our listeners find your books, which I highly recommend? <laughs> well, thank you. Well, we have a gift store. Our, our website is Polyface Farms. It's all one word, P-O-L-Y-F-A-C-E, Farms. Uh, we have a gift store. Of course, the books are available through Amazon.com, uh, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, any place that, that uh, you, can, you might want to get books. Uh, they're available there, or they can easily get them. So uh, they're quite available, and I, I, uh, I highly recommend them. <laughs> oh, Joel, this has been so great. I, I hope you can come back to Healthy Critters and share more of your amazing wisdom and experience. Well, thank you. It's always my delight. Thank you. Well, hello. Is it today Jennifer and Tigger and Patty and Patty and Tigger and Jennifer? <laughs> it's us. It is. So exciting. We have an important question. Yes. Now that Halloween is over... It's the end of the show season in a lot of places in the country, and there's going to be lots of awards banquets coming up, and everybody's going to be getting dressed up. For many canines, the collar is not just a practical accessory for safety, but it is also a fashion statement. Can you tell us where you stand on fashionable dog collars? It would just be better to go with plain, understated, quiet accessories. Hmm. But what about those dogs who are really not very attractive and have bad hair and poor grooming habits and perhaps even some body odor issues? Do you think that wearing a fashionable and uh, tasteful collar could help their self-esteem? Good or bad? No. (laughs) No? Well, thank you very much, Hedwig. We appreciate your thoughts on uh, fashion or lack thereof for dogs of every sort. I think... I think that the motto is just don't. Just don't do it. Nah, just leave your dog alone. It's cute. It's just fine. Say no, no need for blame. No, just, just say, say no. no. If just it's pink, put no. it down. Step away. Mm-hmm. Step yeah. okay. Thank you very much, right. Hetty. Thank and you, Hetty. We're always happy to help. Yeah. Oh, yep. popcorn. Thank yes. you. Bye. 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 And now it's time for the breed of the show. So we are now at the breed of the show segment, and I thought it would do a cat um, this um, episode because we hadn't done them in a while. And Tigger, as we were discussing the other day, I was we said let's do Siamese. I want to get to the bottom of why they make the noise, right? Well, I did find out some information, but I found out a plethora of other things as well. Um, one is. <clears throat> that there was a lot of history on these cats, more than I had found in any other thing that I've kind of, you know, researched. Um, but I'm going to try to make it as simple. Are they Egyptian? As- no, they're, they're from Thailand and they're known, they're known as the Asian cat. And they're also one of the oldest breeds, which I thought was very cool to know all that. And, it, you know, for our listeners, it is, you know, the Siamese cat, most people know the Siamese cat. It's, um, they have just unbelievable blue eyes, a dark, um, mask and their seal point um, cats. They're, they do come in varieties of coats. Uh, the most commonly that we all see is um, the short hair. Um, they 
Um, again, they are one of the oldest breeds, which I, I didn't know. The lifespan, they live from 15 to 20 years. Um, male cats Whoa. get a, yeah, well, think about it. it. If you've ever known anybody that's had a Siamese cat, they tend to live a really long time. At least that's been my experience with friends that I've known that have had them. Um, but they, they, um, uh, the male cats are 10 to 15 pounds, female about eight to 12. Um, this was kind of a cool thing. So they're extraordinarily intelligent. They are very social and very playful and they, they can be like taught to fetch, which I thought was kind of a cute thing. Um, but they're, they're, wow. yeah, but they're very much into their human and that, you know, they refer to them, um, as being dog, like, um, as some other breeds are as well. But, um, the, the research that I did really shows that the cat, this breed seeks out its human to the point where cats, these cats, Siamese cats can become depressed if their owner travels a lot or is at home a lot. And that can actually become a problem with them with anxiety issues and other things. So they're really not as, in, I mean, they're independent like regular cats, but they are truly into their owners. Um, they, um, they're very good with kids. They're, they, a couple different websites say they, they're, they are considered, um, uh, to be a lot of people, um, refer to them as that they're like human babies because they're extraordinarily, you know, persistent and demanding. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. Um, but which comes to this thing, um, that I wanted to find out about, which was their very low pitch meow. Okay. And it's called a meezer, M-E-E-Z-E-R. And it's a very distinct sound. And huh. you actually can Google it um, and hear cats making it. But, you know, you know, Siamese cats make that different low pitch. And it's just very um, yep. indicative of this breed. Um, so as far as <clears throat> um, body type, there's been several... Um, where they are today is much more of a elongated, um, muscular type slender cat with an almond shape eye, um, tanzanite blue eyes, just, you know, piercing, but they look a little, some of them, it can look slightly cross-eyed, which you'll see pictures if you look it up on the, um, internet. Yeah. Uh, but the breed had gone through a ton of changes through, throughout history. And actually, by 1980, the original style of the cat had actually um, largely disappeared. Um, and through, obviously, people that were interested in getting... Um, there's there they talked a lot about and this is where it got a little confusing to me but they talked a lot about two different versions of the cat um i'm not completely sure what they meant by that without really getting into it but they the the most modern breeding wanted this the cat that there is today which is the more slender not the heavier type because apparently it was very cobby at one point and um they, um, but the big thing is obviously their, their selling piece to people are, um, their blue eyes, how blue and, um, and the really, you know, cute seal point, um, on their nose, um, which I think is adorable. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's been kind of, it's been an interesting breed because I think it nearly disappeared completely. And then when they, um, breeders back in, I, I think it was earlier than the, the 1980s got 
you know, to the point where they wanted to keep the cat what it is today, which is now considered the show cat. And um, they're great with families. They're great with um, other animals. Animals, if they're introduced early, they can be a you know a single cat or with multiple animals. Um, but the overwhelming thing about them is that they're extraordinarily affectionate, very playful, can be a little bit intense with their wanting to be with their people, um, and that being one of their um, when they, when you get into like the general health, that's kind of one of the things that kept popping up was, um, because their desire to be with their people, they can suffer from depression. So other than that, they really don't have a lot of, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of a, I didn't expect that. I, um, I haven't been around a lot of Siamese cats. Have you? I, I had a Siamese cat. Oh, did you? Her name was Meriwether. I did. And when I would go, you know, on the road and she would be left with food and, you know, I'd be gone overnight or something. You right. know, cats are pretty good about you sure. giving them plenty of food and stuff. Right. She would unwind all the toilet paper in the house. <laughs> so she so would you, jump on the sink and, okay. and or the kitchen, the, the counter of the bathroom and knock everything that was on the counter into the sink or into the toilet bowl. Isn't that funny? <laughs> That's how she felt about yeah. being She was just letting left. you know. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Oh, yeah. In no uncertain terms. And, of course, the most, to me, the most famous Siamese cats are the cats in Disney's Lady and I, the Tramp. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was one thing I was going to mention, of course. I am Siamese, if you please. Please, <laughs> if you please. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they are, they are so... I love those those two cats. Yeah. They make it's, me laugh. Yeah. Well, they're, it sounds like they're a very interesting breed to have, but you have to be, I think, a little aware if you if it is the only animal um, to not be a traveling person because it that may not work because <laughs> you may have stuff in the toilet. Is all I'm going to say, according to Tigger. <laughs> We're in Critter Nutrition, and today I'm going to talk about ulcer sensitivities in horses. Horses evolved from small forest dwellers to grazers on the plains and savannas. Biologically, they have developed to eat 20 hours a day as they move through their environment. They eat, they move, they eat, they move. Wild horses in North America can cover 10 to 12 miles a day moving through the grasslands. When horses sense danger, the brain signals the adrenal glands and the GI tract. Adrenaline is produced, cortisol rises, and blood is moved to the limbs and away from the gut, and stomach acid is increased. In the flight response, the horses run from the predator. They may run a quarter of a mile or more. Once the danger has receded, they go back to grazing, the brain chemicals lower adrenaline and produce more serotonin, Adrenal glands reduce cortisol, and the GI tract returns to the job of digesting food. As the horses return to grazing, the saliva produced is a buffer of the gastric acid in the stomach. The steady supply of forage and saliva protects the lining of the stomach from the acids. When we ride our horses at trot or canter, the stomach acids can be pushed up into the sensitive upper portion, the non-glandular portion 
of the stomach and cause irritation and pain. While this can result in a full-blown ulcer, in many horses it causes an increased sensitivity to the burn of acid on the delicate stomach lining without causing severe ulceration. Studies have shown that the acidity of gastric juice is also increased during exercise. When the horse is standing or walking, the acidity remains in the pH range of 5.0 to 6.0. But at trot and canter, that acidity can increase to 1.0. Keep in mind that wild horses will trot and canter and then immediately go back to grazing. Since they are eating most of the time, there is food and saliva to buffer the increase in the acid production, helping to remain to maintain a normal pH of the stomach acids. There is some conjecture that the restriction of the girth can also affect the highly acidic gastric juice in the lower portion of the stomach by pushing that gastric juice up into the higher, unprotected upper portion and esophageal areas. We might consider this the equine version of acid reflux. The common signs of ulcer sensitivity. Some horses can be quite overt about their ulcer sensitivities. Girthiness, pinning their ears or kicking when being saddled, sensitivity to being groomed, resistance under saddle, refusing to go forward can be signs of an ulcer or of sensitivity to the discomfort of gastric juices splashing the upper portion of the stomach. Supporting the biological nature of the horse. Because horses are biologically designed to move and eat, how can we support their health and well-being within the confines we maintain them in? Number one, horses need to eat hay or grass 20 hours a day. Number two, give your horse some alfalfa pellets before you ride, even a handful or two when you are tacking up. Alfalfa pellets are high in calcium, which will help with buffering of the stomach acids and maintaining a normal pH. Be careful with treats like sugar cubes and treats with molasses, as these sugars are more acidic to the gut. Three, give your horse plenty of breaks at the walk. Remember, walking does not increase stomach acid production. Four, some horses spend a lot of time in stalls or in small paddocks that restrict movement. Horses that are maintained like this need to be hand-walked as well as ridden. In Europe, horse walkers are very popular, providing the horse with more exercise beyond just being under the saddle. Treadmills are popular in some barns in the U.S. to help with fitness, but more importantly, by increasing movement and circulation. Supplements for specific ulcer sensitivities. Biostar's tummies was formulated for my own horse, who is the poster boy for equine ulcer sensitivity. I needed something to coat the stomach and protect it from the burn, and I needed to provide mucosal support. Tummies provides a microcrystallized aloe that works similarly to the drug sucralfate. This aloe is so highly concentrated that one teaspoon is equal to two ounces of aloe gel. It is a very expensive ingredient at $200 per pound, but its medicinal qualities are well worth it. Tummies provides the amino acid glutamine, which the body uses to inhale intestinal mucosa. We use dehydrated cabbage as it is one of the richest food sources of glutamine. Papaya is an important component of this formula because of its soothing action on membranes in the esophagus and stomach. The orange-yellow lentils and tummies are part of the legume family like alfalfa and provide extra calcium for stomach acid buffering. 
Yellow lentils have a history of use in Ayurvedic medicine because of their soothing effects on the GI tract. Tummies is in the form of a cookie, so it's easy to feed. Give two bars as you tack up and two bars after writing. And trust me, your horse will thank you. So we are now at our wonderful coffee clutch, and we have decided to ask the question amongst the three of us, what wild animal would you like to have as a personal pet? <laughs> and I'm very excited, I must say, Jennifer, to hear Tigger, because I have a feeling She's there could giggling. be some real... Yeah. No, she has been. She told me the other day there was... <clears throat> I just have this feeling. That's all I'm going to say. So, Tiggy, would you like to yes, share Yes, Patty P. Okay. What is it? I'll start with my first one. Okay. I have several. <laughs> okay. For different okay. reasons. So no doubt. The first one is I would like to have an otter as a pet. Oh, that would be good. I can't imagine anything cooler than turning on the bathtub and letting an otter in. <laughs> no, you know what? That's really, that's a cool one. I did I, that not would think be, of otter. That is awesome. I didn't either. Yeah, they're I didn't so think of that. so entertaining. Yeah, they're pretty cute. Oh, so my gosh. So entertaining. Did, did you guys see the video on Facebook of the otter that had the baby on its back? You know, they're floating in the water. Yes. He was hugging it. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I wanted to die. Yeah. Yeah. That and I would cute. have to have two, actually, so that they could keep each other company. And they could have baby otters. They could have otter pups. <laughs> Oh, and they can lie in the bathtub with a little baby on Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm adding otter. Can you ask me? I'm, I would like to have an otter. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jennifer? What, what animal would you like to have as a pet? Well, it's funny because all of my kids at one point or another had this as a favorite animal. I have always wanted a giraffe. And who I doesn't? Think, right? Uh, hello? And, I just think like, I just think having a giraffe hanging out in your backyard. Now, Tigger, I told you about this person that I met was um, who actually runs a, the Dallas Zoo. And he talks about training because yes. he trains these, um, um, all the animals. But he said, you know, this was new. Training giraffes is new. He said, because, and I forgot the word he, he said, but he's, you know, he just talks about like, they're just, they're just kind of like ambling along and all of a sudden they just freeze. And he said, I don't know where they go, but they're gone for a good three seconds, five seconds, sometimes a full minute. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, man. <laughs> and they just like go on again. There you and are. It's, oh, it's just so funny. So anyway, so that's that's one of mine is a giraffe. giraffe. How about you, Jennifer? Cool. Jennifer, uh, what's one of yours? One of mine is an okapi. What's an okapi? That's the one you only see at you zoos see? that his butt looks like a zebra. And his middle looks like a giraffe, and his head looks like a cow with a pointy nose. I've never heard of that one. You've never heard of Okapai? Me neither. They're one of my favorites. Oh, I okay. That's pretty cool. I'm impressed that she. Uh, I'm impressed that she had that one. Well, there. That's always my favorite. Every time we go to um, Animal Kingdom at Disney World, we we live very close to Disney World, so we go a lot. That's always one right. of my favorite critters to stand there and watch. He's just oh yeah. Okay. They're very giraffe like. In that they're very, very quiet and they move slow, except I'm sure when there's somebody chasing them. But they have a very similar (laughs) 
aura to a giraffe, but they're smaller and they're like a Jaguar versus a Mercedes. Okay. Similar, but a little bit more elegant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, All right. That's pretty cool. Huh. Okapai. God Okapai. bless you. Okay. <laughs> 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 I had it. <laughs> okay. So, Tiggy, what's your next one? So, my second animal I would like to have as a pet is a fox. Okay. That makes sense, yes. I think foxes are pretty cool. Because I think they're dog-like and cat-like. Okay. They're a little of each. You're right. They're kind of in between, yeah. 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 In between. And I think it would be really cool to teach him to, like, lie um, on my shoulder like a rap. (laughs) Except a living one. (laughs) So you're looking to train... A fox for winter comfort and warmth, and um, just to be my little buddy, (laughs) and hopefully, just to be your little buddy, and hopefully, not eat any chickens. The first thing I think of, yeah. Well, I would have to raise it as a you know as a kit. Would have to be a vegetarian, like you teach dogs. Yeah. Well, I just wouldn't be able to eat live prey. (laughs) <laughs> okay Patty P what's second on your list um, so when I lived in Alta Vista one of the things that I always um, dreamed of doing which will tie into the giraffe thing too is I wanted to make it a um, rescue home for large animals and um, I just envisioned having elephants <laughs> With my giraffes. <laughs> I know it sounds sort of like, wow. Aww. Yeah. But I just think elephants are the neatest. I just think they're just so amazing. And um, I um, I don't know. I mean, I once rode an elephant and it was the most unsettling feeling I have ever had because there, it was so completely and utterly different than it's riding a, a horse. Eight. Yeah, but it's the size. There's really, let's face it, if that thing wants to go rogue, no little rope on its nose is going to pull it back. So I just want this to go for the record that I indeed would not be riding my (coughs) elephant because I think that would be not a good thing. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I think an elephant would be pretty cool. There you go. And they're in, 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 they're so endangered. It's, it's just, it's just tragic. We could, we could lose them. In yeah. our lifetime. Yeah. Because of poaching. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe you could, you could sponsor a, a an elephant that's in a retirement home. There I know. Go. That would be new. But I want it to be with me. Well, that's a good idea. A circus that's that a good idea. Free. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There we I go. think I just read recently that they, um, what's the big um, circus, Barman Bailey or whatever, that they finally are oh, taking the yeah. elephants out. Did you guys hear that? Yeah. Okay, I hope that's mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. All right. And there's a wonderful sanctuary in Tennessee called the Elephant Sanctuary. Isn't that where that little dog and elephant store? Yeah. Isn't that where that whole little dog and um, I think so. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. There anyway. Now, so, okay. so Jennifer, what what other animal would you like to have? My I'm I'm picking yeah, my next one is seahorses. I want a whole herd of seahorses. You mean like the little sea monkeys? How oh, yeah. cool is that? <laughs> I want oh, that is so cool. They come in all different colors and shapes. The and bathroom sizes. would be very crowded with 
otters, seahorses, <laughs> you know, and the elephants can come by and look at them. <gasps> yep. Oh, cool. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Oh, that's pretty cool. Okay. All right, Tigger. Do you have another one? I'm assuming. Oh, well, yeah, this is, this is at the top of the list. Okay. You saved the best for last. I want a panda bear. A oh, panda. Oh. Who wouldn't want a panda? Right? My gosh. Oh. Who, wouldn't want, who wouldn't want a panda? What is there? Nothing. It's it's it's, it's everything to love in an animal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think, and they're so they're cute, cute when they're little. They're oh my god! Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And they're plant eaters, which I like. <laughs> they're good. They're good whole feet, foodie. <laughs> yeah. And who doesn't uh, want a little bamboo? Yes, exactly. Right? You'd have to grow bamboo. I just think that it would be immensely fun to have around. Oh yeah, I think that I think that's adorable. You'd have, lots, you'd have more friends than you knew what to do with because everybody would have to right. come and play with your panda bears. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. And what would you have, Patty? Pete? Okay, so this is probably at the top of my list, too. Um, again, not probably going to be a surprise. I've always wanted a lion. Of I just, course. I just love their feet, how big and cute their feet are, and their faces. I just <laughs> love their faces. Oh, my gosh. And then, yeah, and I love to watch, like, lionesses with their lion cubs. Oh, my gosh. I love, like... Um, uh, the movie, um, I don't think it was called Elsa. What was it? Um, it was called Elsa, wasn't it? Born Free. Born, Born Free. Born Free. Oh, I've seen that movie. I bawled all the way through it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, that they could be out. So, you have my, to be very protective of the giraffe and the elephant with your lion. <laughs> well, I would, I would train my lion to not be naughty. Just like you're going to train your fox. <laughs> if your fox can be trained, yeah. my lion can be trained, right? I think so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer? Uh, my last one is a woodpecker. Oh. I just love to watch oh, them. I want my very own so I can watch them all the time. And they make such cool sounds. You you really have good ones. You. Woodpecker. Yeah, woodpeckers. Yeah, and also, you wouldn't I'd keep also... him in a cage, though. Well, no, he's just going to live at my house, and he's going to stay because he loves me very much. <laughs> and she can have that. You don't have woodpeckers in Florida. We do, but they're not my woodpeckers. They're not oh. my pet woodpeckers. They come and go as they please. But we we have three different sizes of woodpeckers here: small, medium, and large. You have the pileated. Yes, the big ones. They yeah, they hang out here in pairs. Yeah, yeah, they're really cool. We love to watch them when they get wow. outside. Yeah. I love woodpeckers. Yeah. I do too. I think now I want more animals. <laughs> I'm going to have to, the breed of the show is going to have to end up being what, oh, that could be a whole segment again of just what we want. What else could we possibly have? If we had nothing else to do, what else could we possibly own? I think, I think you and I would be, we'd go on forever. You'd have your little pet fox around you. I'd be, I'd be hanging out with my giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a, a giraffe is almost like the perfect spirit animal for you. You think so? Yeah. Tall, spotted, and gangly. <laughs> there you go. 
And he can, he can, and he can clean his nose with his tongue. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Oh, that very graceful, yeah. you know. When they move, yeah. they're just their biomechanics is are pretty amazing. Oh, it's ridiculous! It's it's just amazing. Doesn't, it's weird that no matter how fast well, a draft goes, he looks like he's going in slow motion. I don't understand I know. it. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah, we yeah, need a giraffe is- expert, Tigger. Book him. Uh, well, I I'm I'm working on that. Yeah. Oh, you, Patty's got one. Yeah, I'm going to uh, talk to this guy about being a guest. Um, he's was pretty. He was pretty amazing um, guy. He's trained everything from killer whales to um, he's now learning all about giraffes and all sorts oh, of. And he talks giraffes. about monkeys. <gasps> yeah, no, it's so pretty excited. Cool. Stay tuned, everybody. Yeah. Coming up on an episode soon. Yeah, it's so yeah. exciting. I just I just have to get him to agree. There we go. We'll be nice. <laughs> I thought so. Yeah. I think we're always really super nice. Yeah. Well, that, that wraps it up. Now, everybody listening, we want to hear what your dream favorite wild animal to have your for your very own. Not because we're going to put them in a pen, but because they're going to live with us because they love us a lot. No. And you're going to exactly. go to you're gonna go to the... And they're going to teach us. And they're going to teach us. And you're going right. to go to the Healthy Critters Facebook page, and you're going to tell us what they are. Or you're going to write to Tigger. And tell her what they are. What's your email address, Tigger? <laughs> Tigger at biostarus.com. And you can't you can't email to Patty because Patty's email addresses never work. So I'm just telling you right now, as we've been sitting here, my outlook has yelled at me five times to um, There we go. Yeah, it's stupid. Don't email me. Just don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's wrap it up, ladies. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with the snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging when you're with your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. And walk with your wookie.